This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good morning. Well, thank you to the worship team. Let's give them a hand. My name is John. About three months ago, um, I had in front of the church a group of 21 leaders from 19 countries, and they were here for a three-month sports leadership school. Just wanted to let you know that all of them got on flights yesterday, and about a third of them have arrived home. And uh, I'm sure today and tomorrow will be days of great joy as they reconnect with their loved ones and family. family. So thank you for praying for them. Okay. Um, Sias asked me to share on a subject this morning, which I must admit to you is one that makes me pause to think. All right, and I'm I, and I I hope it's the same for you. So here's the topic: Is business a drug? Can you play the video, please? single minute. So here's the, here are the two problem questions. The first is, how do we, how do you, how do we, how should we manage a busy lifestyle? And then obviously the next is how to set relational priorities in the midst of a busy lifestyle. If we speak about being a disciple-making church, about a church that seeks to see change in this community and beyond, then how does that fit into our extremely busy lifestyle? Um, have you ever had a friend who came up to you and offered you gum, chewing gum or mint? Whenever someone offers me mint, I always think to myself, do they know something that I don't? <laughs> right, why are you offering me a breath freshener? <laughs> so, about a couple of years ago, or two years ago, a friend came and offered me this book. If you can go to the next slide. Here's the title of the book. You can show it. Just click. It's called Crazy Busy. Does it work? No? Oh, okay. Anyway, the title of the book is called Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. Unfortunately, the, the picture isn't coming up. It's a green little book written by a guy called Kevin DeYoung. And you, you actually find more and more books being written about 
how do you disengage? How do you withdraw? How do you manage this crazy busy lifestyle? Uh, there's another new book, a newer book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Multiple PhDs from MIT talking about how the world has pushed us into such shallowness, superficiality. And how can we really get quality work, produce quality work? So whenever a guy gives you a book that says you are crazy busy, read this, you know you're in big trouble. So I might not be the best person to be up here, but nonetheless, I'm learning like you. And um, I have put down a series of questions which I hope will stimulate us before we end our time uh, to find action steps on the way forward. Okay, so let's look at some reflection questions. I'd like you to turn to two other persons beside you, preferably someone who isn't married to you or in your family, okay? And answer these three questions. Is your life busy? You can show the questions. Is your life busy? Why is it busy? And do you like being busy? Okay? I'll give you three minutes. Turn to your friend. Is your life busy? Why is it busy? And do you like being busy? While they sort out the PowerPoint. Okay, here's another question. How would you really, 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 really feel? Next question, if you had to stop everything now and just withdraw into solitude and prayer for 30 straight days with no internet, okay, and no candy crush, how would you really, really feel if you had to disengage now for 30 days? Assuming that your kids are taken care of, you don't have to pay any bills, all your EFTs or auto debits go without you having to be worried about it. So it's a, it's a utopian situation. But how would you feel if you had to drop everything now? Or maybe tomorrow, tomorrow at 8 o'clock, okay? So you can 
binge watch Netflix tonight. And so tomorrow, if you have to withdraw for 30 days, how would you feel? I'll give you a minute, 30 seconds each. Go. Okay, are there any brave people that would like to share in one or two words how they would feel? Anyone? Just stand up and shout. Be honest. Anyone? Like heaven. Wow. Wonderful. Who else? <laughs> Peaceful. You notice they're slightly older, these people who have just spoken? <laughs> mature, I'm sorry, mature. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. Hmm? You, it feels right, okay? It would be hard, yeah. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. And many resonate with it. How else? Who else? Crazy. It would be crazy. Maybe boring. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to say what you felt. Maybe you say what someone else said. Yeah, that person said it would be boring. Yes. <laughs> Non-productive. Unproductive. Pray for 30 days. How will that change the world? I want to change the world. Right? One other person. It would be a mind shift, a mindset shift, a paradigm shift. It would force us to re-evaluate what matters. Huh? Thank you. So I've been asking myself, why am I busy? Why are we busy? What in life drives us to busyness? And here is a non-exhaustive list that I, I, I just came up with. So number one, I think it also depends on the season of life that you're in. And obviously, there are a number of ways to speak about stages of life or seasons of life. So obviously, you can go by age. Um, if you are a parent with young children, life is busy because you've got nappies and... Okay, I don't even want to, even want to think about those days anymore, but yeah. <laughs> nappies and what else? I can't remember. Somehow, we forget to cope with child children. Um, so life is just busy with lots happening, medical visits, um, you know, sport. And um, so the season of life determines how occupied you are. Another way to think about seasons of life would be your survival years to your success years to your significance years. So if you are in survival mode, 
working in order to put food on the table, create shelter for yourself. And, or maybe you're a single parent and you have to do two, three jobs simultaneously in a, in a day or in a week. Um, life is extremely full. And if you have children, as a single parent, um, life is extremely full. So you're trying to survive. And so I understand, you know, if you're in the survival stage. Now, some of you may be in your success stage. What is, there's a bit of a sibilance in the, the, the sound. If it's possible to just bring it down a bit. Yeah, maybe it's just my voice. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, thanks. I think that helps. Um, so if you're in your success years, you know, there's a tendency to want to compete. Perhaps you're competing with your best friends. Perhaps you're competing with your peers, with uh, your family members, your brothers, your siblings. And, and life is extremely full because you seem to be in this competition phase. Okay? And then perhaps you've entered your significant stage. And in the significant stage, you're asking, how can I establish legacy? Significance could come when you hit a certain lifespan. Okay? Um, or it could come when you have experienced severe illness and you, you have experienced what it means to be near death. And now the, your whole life starts to reorientate around what matters. Here's a great question to ask yourself. What do you want written on your tombstone? So if that is what you want to be remembered for, then how does your life fit into that? And so questions like that may cause you to be busy because you're trying to either survive or be extremely successful or establish significance and legacy. So the season of life might determine how busy you are and what you're busy for. The second is loneliness. I think some of us cope with loneliness by activity. Right? So you're on a, like, a, like a hamster, running on a hamster wheel. You're just going and you're going and you're going, but you seem to be standing still as far as fruitfulness is concerned. But it helps you cope with your loneliness. Um, some of you withdraw, okay? And that's how you cope with loneliness. Some of you become highly attention-seeking. That's how you cope. And loneliness, I would say, is defined by the inability to be intimate with others or to be present with others and to enjoy that company. Um, and that is, that is something that we see in Genesis when God created woman to be a helpmate or a partner for Adam because he saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So I think inherently there is a void that needs to be filled. And obviously it needs to be filled by God, but it also needs to be filled by relationships. Right? So I think loneliness sometimes spurs us into busyness. The third one is pride. What is an indication of pride? I think perfectionism is one. And if you are perfectionistic, then the likelihood is you can't trust. You have a tendency to micromanage and that keeps you extremely busy because no one else can do it like you do, which is probably true also. Okay? But if 
everything has to be done your way, in your timing, um, and has to be perfect, perhaps that is an indication of pride. And if you are prideful, the likelihood is your life will be really busy managing details. The next one is something called mission drift or mission creep. So a number of years ago, I was sitting with um, some donors and we were talking about the refugee crisis. And uh, they said to me, it was so interesting to see this particular Bible agency or Bible organization, Bible distribution organization, starting to put in applications for funding. Not to distribute Bibles or to print Bibles or to translate Bibles, but to do refugee work. And so this particular donor said to me, we must be so cautious about following the money instead of following God's call or what the board of directors has established. And so every time you seem to drift from the mission or every time your mission seems to expand in scope, that's what it's called, mission drift or mission creep. It's creeping larger and larger. And what drives that? It could be a clear instruction from God, but in this particular case, it could be because there is funding. So I've been in South Africa for a while now. So a couple of years ago, what was really sexy was HIV AIDS education. And there was a ton of funding for it. And you saw organizations all doing that. And what is... What was sexy a few years ago, maybe even still now, it's the whole subject of human trafficking. And then you see people that used to do HIV AIDS education now start to do human trafficking awareness and rescue and etc. etc. So why do we do what we do? Is it funding driven? Okay? And we keep adding and adding because that's where funding is. Maybe that's why we're busy. The fourth one is, uh, well, the next one, the fifth one is identity based off performance. Performance that is driven by insecurities. Okay? So perhaps you feel a high sense of guilt or shame or fear. And so in order to assuage or to, to mitigate that, you want to be loved, you want to be accepted, you want to be affirmed. But the things that you do indicate fear, guilt and shame. And so you're busy and busy and busy because you never want to be rejected. You never want anyone to tell you that's not good enough. Or you have this fear of being retrenched or being restructured. And so we try to keep up the performance because we have so much fear, guilt or shame. Sorry, I can't unpack this too much because of time. But I think some of you resonate with some of these things. The next one I like to say is identity that is based off of performance that is driven by or based on calling. So if you look at Acts chapter 8 verse 3, if you can turn to Acts chapter 8 verse 3, you will see um, here the account of Saul. So I think there's a slide, if you can just go to the slide that says Acts chapter 8, verse 3. If you can read that.
here we see the account of Saul persecuting the church. So verse 3, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then you go to chapter 9, Acts 9, and you see here verses 1 to 3. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, I'll stop here. Saul was persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. So look at all the verbs. But he wasn't content. He was an extremely driven man to the point that he went after business that wasn't meant for him. He went to the high priest and said, I'm not content to just kill Christians here. I want to go kill Christians somewhere else. Can you give me permission letters so I can travel to Damascus and create havoc there? What a driven man. Okay. But then you see the Damascus experience and then you read the epistles. Stanford created a website called Orbis, okay, where you can track how much it costs and how long it takes to travel around the Roman world in AD 200 or around about that time. So one guy, he basically plotted Paul's missionary journeys. And you know how many miles or kilometers Paul traveled? He traveled 16,000 kilometers, 16,500 kilometers for his three missionary journeys. Paul and Saul, the four, were extremely driven. Look at the activity. Highly productive. What's different? Okay. So I want to suggest to you that many times when you see someone's behavior, it might look the same. Saul and Paul. Very active, very busy, very productive. But when you go behind the motive, one was driven out of anger and hate, Saul. Paul's was driven out of a sense of purpose and calling. Okay? So I want to suggest to you, you do need to look at your own motives about why you do what you do. As evidenced by Saul and later on his transformation to Paul. So why are we busy? Seasons of life, loneliness, pride, perhaps it's mission drift or mission creep. Perhaps it's an identity or a performance-based a performance identity driven out of fear, guilt, shame, doubt, uncertainties. Or it might even be an identity or a performance-based identity that is driven out of calling. Calling to the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and perhaps the creation mandate. Okay? So is being busy bad? I made it sound like it's bad. Let's go to Genesis 1. So you look at Genesis 1, verse 26, and it'll come on on the slide. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So 
God created all things, so He did work in our likeness so that they may rule, look at the verb, rule, over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the earth. Genesis 1.26. Then 1.28, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. That's the verb. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then you look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So you already see a couple of verbs. Clearly, God created work. So it is good to work. So we're called to rule rain. We're called to be fruitful and multiply, so basically get married, have kids. And uh, by 2030, we expect the population of the world to be about 8.5 billion. So maybe you don't want to have too many kids, maybe you want to adopt instead. Okay, that's up to you. Then chapter 2, verse 15, you look at be fruitful, uh, sorry, 2 verse 15, work and care. Rule, work and care. And if you do a deep study on these verbs, on these words, I th- and I encourage you to do it, what does it mean to rule? What does it mean to work? So some of my friends, they will say, to work is to produce value. So what do you do today that creates value? Okay? And they use it as a, the biblical foundation for entrepreneurship. That's why we should be creating value through businesses, okay? And then to care. So we forget that the creation mandate doesn't say to consume. Yes, you are to consume, consume of whatever is in the garden that God has given, but there's also a stewardship mandate. So you're called to care for what God has entrusted to us, which is why we talk about renewable energy, conservation agriculture, which is why we should, as Christians, be leading all these initiatives. Solar energy, etc., uh, etc. Et what do you do? What do I do that helps in the mandate of ruling, working, and caring? Okay? So perhaps these things keep you busy. So is business bad? I think the answer is I think business can potentially be bad. In what way? If it takes you away from intimacy with God, if it takes you away from meaningful relationships with others, if it takes you away from yeah, disciple making, okay? if it takes you away from eternal things. So what are some things that are eternal? Anybody? God, a relationship with Him, the Word of God. What else is eternal? The souls of men, treasures in heaven. Anything else? Okay. So I would encourage you, think about what is eternal and in what way is your life oriented around eternal things versus temporal things. So now I've got a whole series of questions. 
And I'm just going to ask these questions, okay? Because I want to struggle with these questions too. And I think it might be helpful if we struggle with these questions together as a church. So here's the first one. How do I practice the Sabbath principle in my life? What is the Sabbath principle? Do you know what it is? Rest. So on the seventh day, God rested. Um, God says the seventh day should be a Shabbat, a Sabbath, the 49th, and every seventh year should be a rest year. And every 50th year, the Jubilee year, should be a rest year. So there is a, a, a culture of rest. Actually, more than that. Shalom. Peace. Wholeness. Restoration. So that's the whole concept of the Sabbath. So what does that look like in your life? So I, I think I wouldn't say to you, stop being busy. I would say to you the opposite. How can you include intentional Sabbath in your life? Whether on a daily basis, well, it should be on a daily basis, as well as on a weekly basis, perhaps a monthly and a quarterly basis or an annual basis. Okay? What are those things that you want to do? Do you have prayer retreats? Do you break away? Do you have a chair that you sit on for devotions? Is there a particular place, a, a you know, a, a place or a, 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 a thing that you do that takes you away from your busyness. Next question. Do I need to review my calling? There's this nice picture of someone climbing up a ladder and then realizes that the ladder is on the wrong wall. So is your ladder on the right wall? Are you climbing the ladder of life that is leaning on the right wall? So do you need to review your calling? Next question. Do I know what lasts for eternity? Am I investing in those things? Is my life oriented that way? And here's a great test. Look at your bank statement. Look at your checkbook. Your checkbook doesn't lie. It tells you where you spend your money on and where you spend your money on shows you what matters to you and it shows you where your priorities are and it shows you whether it's temporal or eternal. Okay? Next question. Does your life revolve around your child or your children? grandchildren? Are children your calling? Are your children your calling? I think that's a serious one if we're parents, we need to review. Next question. When do I spend time with God? And when I do spend time with God, do I listen or do I just talk? Or do I just ask Him for stuff? Okay. Next question. If I am the aggregate of the five people that I spend the most time with, whom should they be? Who are the five people that you spend the most time with? And if it is true that you are the average of those five, 
Then for 2019, or for the remainder of this year as you move into 2019, who should those people be? Do you want to run with turkeys or fly with eagles? Basically. Do I need to increase the number of people that I interact with if you are highly introverted? If you're highly extroverted, do I need to reduce the number of people that I interact with in order to get to deeper quality, meaningful, life-giving relationships? Next question. Who are sitting at my table of support? So there's a concept that we use in uh, uh, our leadership training as well as with a fatherhood and motherhood training called the table of support. Around the table of support should be your family, obviously, your inner circle, meaning your best friends, that you, you know, people you feel a kindred spirit with. Around your table of support should be your hero, a hero, dead or alive. Could be, and then your mentor or discipler, your mentee or disciple or disciples, your coach who helps you with developing consistency of certain habits. And I think in South Africa, you definitely need a cross-cultural friend. Someone who comes from a different ethnic background from you that helps you to navigate the complexities due to the multicultural diversity that exists in this country. Right? So those... That, that is what we call the table of support. Inner circle, family, hero, mentor, coach, mentee, slash disciples, slash cross, and, and a cross-cultural friend, okay? And perhaps a spiritual leader, slash your pastor. So who are sitting at your table of support? Do you have people that push you towards holiness or pull you towards holiness? Your disciples and your mentees push you towards holiness. Your discipler, your mentors pull you towards holiness. So who are they? Are they there? Do you need to do something about it? Do you need to pray and ask the Lord to show you who they are and add them to your table? Next question, am I growth-oriented in my relationships? So when you sit together with friends, and I don't mean every conversation has got to be serious and boring, okay? What I mean is, when you come together, do you feel like you, you leave that time together edified, renewed? Okay? Or are your conversations always superficial? Just about politics or sport or what's wrong with this country or the next girl or guy you have your eye out for or the next car you want to buy? Or do you talk about kingdom things? Struggles in life? Do you go deep into um, yeah, what it means to solve certain challenges that exist in this country? Do you need to start redirecting or influencing some conversations that you have with your peers? So think about that. Next set of questions. Am I feeling lonely? What is my current coping strategy? Is it healthy? Next question. Do I have a problem with FOMO? Fear of missing out. If I do, then why? Perhaps that this FOMO thing, which is now supposedly established as a, a 
as a psychological condition. Um, it is, by the way. If it, if it keeps driving you to be on social media, you know, kind of post after post after post, just watching other people's lives. And I don't know why you have FOMO, but if you do, why? And do you need to do something about it? Next question. Do I desire applause or a handshake? What's the difference? When people applaud you, they're far away from you. And it's one too many. Like what I'm doing with you now. Is this what I want? Or do I want a handshake? Because with a handshake, I'm forced to come up close and let him smell my breath, look into my eyes, ask me tough questions. Very personal and very scary sometimes. So what do I want? Do I want to be safe and just receive applause? Or do I want to give handshakes and receive handshakes? So what do you want? What are you busy with? Next question. Am I an unreasonable perfectionist? Connected to that, am I micromanaging? Do I know how to delegate? Do I want to delegate? Next question. Is my screen strangling me? Smartphone screen, TV screen, laptop screen, tablet screen. Okay. Do I need to control my screen time? Next question. Do I use busyness as a proxy for productivity or fruitfulness? Do I hide being busy? And I associate busyness with productivity. And I don't think they're the same. Right? So think about that. Next question. Do I need to adopt a productivity system? Could be a to-do list. I personally use a system called getting things done. Okay? Yeah. Uh, by a guy called is it David Allen? John Allen? Can't remember his name. Getting things done. Very simple system. Whenever a task comes onto your inbox of life or email, you do one of three things. Do it now, if it can be done in two minutes. Defer it or thrash it. Okay? So do it if it can be done in two minutes. Um, actually, four things. Do it, defer it, delegate it, thrash it. So that's the Getting Things Done system. Um, you can read it, you, you can download infographics on it, and it will explain the system. So do you need a productivity system so that you are doing what is most important based on priorities instead of trying to do everything to please everyone? Next question. Do I need to embrace white space and chaos? And how? So by now, all of you are probably experts on neuroscience and you've been doing a lot of reading. And one of the things our brain needs is white space. So when you sleep, your brain, I'm not a sleep expert, but basically one of the, one of the things that happens is you go into REM sleep, right? Rapid eye movement. 
and then different things happen in your brain and things connect and, and that's how you learn basically when you sleep. Um, that's how you acquire and retain information and form connections so that you are able to have a, a, a synthesized formulation of information. But another thing that happens that you need is actually called white space. What is white space? White space is when, you know, in, for me, now I can't do it because of the water restrictions. But have, it, have you ever experienced when you stand under a shower? And then you stand there, you don't really think about much. And then you get like brilliant ideas. Have you experienced that? Right. Or when you're mowing the lawn. Basically, anything that is repetitive and mundane, that doesn't require thinking or intentional conscious thinking, that's called white space. And you, when you enter white space, your, brains, your brain becomes creative. Okay? So do we need to have more white space? So they found there is a law of diminishing return when you take away break times from kids. So there was an experiment done in the US. So they looked at all the other countries in the world and they said, what makes the Japanese so highly educated and, and why are their kids in Korea or Japan or Singapore um, uh, do so well in maths and science scores? And they said, look at how little breaks they have. No, sorry. Uh, they, they thought that they needed to increase the number of hours of sessions. And so they started to cut away break time, playground time, and rather put the kids in class. And they found the scores actually degraded. But what they didn't realize, that if you have play time, that is when kids learn one of two things, okay? One is obviously, it's white space, and the learning then sinks into the subconscious and unconscious. The other is in playground time, in play time, they learn social skills. They learn how to cope in, um, in relational, um, and, and they, they basically learn how to survive in relationships. It all happens in playground time. That's why play is critical. So that's white space. That, that is why men, so let me speak to the wives now. Men need white space, and they find white space by reading the newspaper or watching sport. Okay? So when they watch sport or when they read the newspaper, it actually may not register, but the men need that, unfortunately, because the men are a little dumb. So, so we need more space to recover. Okay, so let us have a bit of white space and I promise you, we will be more engaged with you after, okay? Uh, within control, of course. But do we need to create rhythms of white space in our life? Next question. Do I pride myself in being a multitasker? Or is it killing me? So Brad Huddleston in Digital Cocaine, he, he says, technical term is actually task switching. There is no one on earth that is able to multitask, according to the re current research. What we do is we switch tasks very quickly. It's called task switching. And when you switch from one task to the next task to the next task to the next, next task, it stresses you out. And actually, you become more unproductive. Okay? So am I a multitasker and, and am I proud of being a multitasker? Perhaps we need to revisit that, that, that skill. Okay? It used to be if you put on your, your, your CV, I'm a multitasker. Yeah, it's a good thing. But today it may not be a good thing. 
Last question. Am I addicted to adrenaline? So I don't have any recommendations for you. I just have a lot of questions. And I think from the questions, perhaps what can emerge are some action steps. So I'd like to invite you to do a plus one. So what's a plus one? A plus one is if you're here today, just take a small step forward. Okay? From the list of questions, find one thing that you can integrate into your life. Perhaps the most important would be um, how can I include the Sabbath principle in my life on a daily basis? If you can go to the next slide. This slide just captures all the questions. It might be too small, I don't know, but let me invite you to turn to one or two other people around you and just spend the next two to three minutes talking through what you have heard and perhaps trying to try to articulate one action step that you can take. Um, from this point forward, okay? After which I will conclude. So let me, let me conclude. Uh, I want to read a story to you, and then I want to uh, read a lyrics from a song to you. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Luke 10, verse 38 to 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I, I, had a, I have a favorite song from the 90s, and it goes like this. I won't sing it, I'll just read the lyrics. Times of refreshing here in your presence, no greater blessing than being with you. My soul is restored, my mind is renewed. There's no greater joy, Lord, than being with you. May the Lord bless you as you strive to live in the tension of significance and busyness. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.